be a little bit about some discouragement. And I know we all wrestle with discouragements, but one, one thing that's happened to me recently uh, is, involves fantasy football. You guys laughing at my pain. I just said it was like my, my discouragement. So I, okay, here we go. I, computer does this uh, draft for me. I have an okay team, but I'm not happy with one of the guys. And someone offers me a trade, and I counter, and I get these up-and-coming people. Adam Lazar, one of them from the Packers, right? Wide receiver to be. He's going to make me some points. This new QB from San Francisco, he's nice and young. He's got a high floor because he runs. And then he ran, and he breaks his ankle, and he has surgery, and he's out for the season. But good thing I traded away my other starting QB for that. And, of course, I'm all excited about the uh, tons of points the second-year quarterback's going to get me. And right away, he's just ripped out from underneath me. And uh, it's a silly discouragement. But, boy, that surprised me. And I know that many of us, many of us have real discouragements that have nothing to do with fantasy land and things that don't actually matter to our lives. Discouragements happen, but I think today in this passage, even though uh, there's nothing here that Paul tells us to do that would be easy to say and easy to give, I think there's something encouraging here that encourages a believer. Uh, and so that's where I'm going to go with this text. And so let's put fantasy football to the side for a little bit. Let's read 9 through 16 together, and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll move into it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are, that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, I realize today uh, that many of us go through so many difficult things through the week that uh, sometimes we just don't have enough time to talk about them all, and it just piles up and bubbles up and like a volcano, it explodes in different times, and uh, we're all just so ill-equipped to handle these things. It's difficult. It's frustrating. But Jesus, you are so sweet and good 
and loving, and you carry us through them all. You remind us that we are not alone. The God of the universe carries us through this life, that we walk with you through this life. And Holy Spirit, you do amazing things. You correct us. You move us. You love us. You indwell us. And I'd ask today that you would help us, help me uh, pack those things up that are bugging us and eating at us. Put them to the side for now. Dig into your word together. Guard my words as we walk through this. Help us remember that you love us. It's not just a a loving king uh, miles away that thinks, uh, that just wants the best for us and if something bad happens, whatever. No, you are a loving king and you hold us dearly. Thank you for that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, here we're walking uh, through chapter two. This, this passage that we're in today simply progresses into what we have today. There is, there's no uh, one and then two. It's just all one big one, all one big message in the second chapter. But I think that if we kind of pick through this a little bit, we'll see what Paul's doing in here. What Paul, at, in verse four of this, he writes that uh, he was entrusted with this gospel to please God, to bring it to the Thessalonians. And that's, that's what he's doing here, that because of this love for God and his desire to see the people saved through the gospel, that this man, Paul, sacrifices so much of himself here. And he was there in Thessalonica for anywhere, he says, uh, three Sabbath days. So anywhere from three weeks to a couple months, somewhere in there, just a short amount of time. And what I thought was interesting in the background of this text in the culture of a lot of Roman cities, but especially here in Thessalonica, is that great thinkers and philosophers would go through these areas spouting off great ideas. So it wasn't uncommon. Right? I've got a quote here from one of the commentators on this text. That first century Roman cities were full of traveling philosophers, magicians, and religious enthusiasts who gained their livelihood from public teaching. Ancient literature often associates such teachers with greed and immorality. They amassed wealth and notoriety through their fine-sounding rhetoric. Often they behaved reprehensibly to towards others, mocking their opponents, winning over the weak-willed, engaging in inappropriate relations with followers, and sponging off the rich. You could see why Paul starts to kind of defend himself in here with the mother and the father examples. And we're, we're familiar with that. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a political rally. And you hear all the great thoughts that this person has, and then it ends with, well, if you just send money, you throw money in the guitar case, as it were, uh, more people can hear my message. And if you vote for me, I'm so great that the reason you should vote for me is so the other guy loses. Like, we're familiar with that concept of people coming in, spouting off about who they are, and then wanting something for it. And so we see that main thrust in this text where Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I didn't come to you to benefit myself or to grow my bank account or to grow who I am. But he says these things, that we thank God constantly for, for the gospel that you received. We hear him say, as a mother nursing her children, we were affectionately desirous of you. 
We hear him say, as a father who exhorts and encourages his own children, that we came to you with this message. You could almost see this, right? Paul, Paul strolls into town with the group that he's with, with a couple people that he's with, and he comes to the synagogues, and he's street preaching about Jesus, and this God who came and he died and this so that his people who believe in him and confess him would live forever. And they listen for him to go on and on, and then they pull out the checkbooks or the, the bag of coins, whatever they were doing in that time, and they go to give him money. He's like, no, 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 no. No, you don't understand. I'm not here to build Paul up. I want you to know this Jesus. This Christ is what is important here, not me. And so that's how why he d- dives in right here in the way that he presented himself, righteous and blameless toward them, which might feel kind of weird to us. Why are you telling us the way you behaved? Why are you reminding those people who were there how you behaved and treated them? And it may be because uh, often what happened was he'd leave because he was flushed out of Thessalonica by Jewish rebels or whatever you want to call them. That They got him out of there and now are spreading lies about Paul actually just being one of the other people. He says no. So he goes on here and finishes off chapter 2 like that. And to go off a, a point kind of quickly from this that we can take away is that in all of our gospel ministries, because that's what we're to do as Christians, right? This isn't like uh, what the pastors do only, right? In Ephesians, we're talking about the the pastors and the leaders of the church building up regular Christians, right? If I can coin it that phrase, regular Christians to do the gospel ministry. And that's what you all are doing in your workplace and where you hang out and in your families, in your homes. We're not, we're doing the same thing that Paul does here, I would say. We're acting similar. We're imitating Paul here that we're not building up ourselves, which is a temptation, I think. We should check our hearts and our matters as we go about our days in ministries in the church or our ministries or in our work and our home that we're not building ourselves up. Just as Paul here says in verse 4, that we do these things to please God. What are our, our intentions as Christians in this, excuse me, in this life? Do we do what we do, or do we change who we are in, in time to appeal the person that you're with? Because if you're trying to do that, you're actually trying to win people to yourself as you're evangelizing and you're ministering in your workplace. That's not what Paul does here. This is just this first section, 9 through 12. Paul lays himself down. He understands the context of the people and how they are going to interpret this time. Lays himself down to please God, to glorify God, and to point to Christ and getting himself out of the way to do that. That's just my first section. I wanted to do that quickly because when we get to verse 13 here, where is the, really the meat of the passage, the, the heart of this whole passage here in verse 13. So if we'd read that, it goes like this. Verse 13, just this. And we also thank God constantly for this, 
that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So here Paul, giving thanks to God for the, the way that this little Thessalonian church plant came to faith and is still in the faith. Paul came preaching the gospel of Jesus, the God-man who came and died and rose again to save sinners who would believe that. And then Paul glorifies God because he sees the practical working of the gospel in these people's lives. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as the word of God. He's not saying these are just words of men like everything else that you hear. He's not saying that this is just regular cultural thing. This isn't just nonsense of one person trying to outwit or outsmart another person. This is the gospel, the word of the Lord coming and ripping out sinners from their death like weeds in a garden, placing them on the paths of righteousness. And that gospel, he's saying here, that gospel that did that work is still at work in the Thessalonians in such a way that when Paul sends Timothy back to check in on them, maybe six months later after he had left, he brings back such an account that encourages him, encourages Paul, that next week you'll be able to see in chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul is just glowing by what Jesus is doing through the gospel in these people. And that, that got me thinking that it, it, as if Paul is encouraged here, how easy is it for us to be discouraged? Like there's just so much, it seems like, that is discouraging in this world. Had a couple friends share with me recently that they had some belongings stolen. And that discouraged me. I'm like, what the? Why would people take stuff? Why do people... I had a mountain bike stolen once. And I was like, oh, wrecked. It wasn't locked up. Miranda will remind me. Okay. But someone stole it. It was, it was mine. I paid like 400 bucks for that. Right. Talked with another friend once who led a, a thriving youth group at a church that I was with uh, a few years back. And he took a new pastor at a new church. And he's got three, three kids coming. And there's just no traction happening. And that's just... He's just passionate about high schoolers and junior highers coming to know the Lord and having fellowship with one another. Nothing's happening, and that's discouraging. Or maybe you've got, uh, as I do, other family members outside your little unit who make really poor choices repeatedly, and they don't seem to click with them that if they would stop making dumb decisions like this, they would stop meeting really bad ends. And it's just discouraging because you can't do anything about it. You just keep hearing the bad news. It's like it's behind every door. You go and knock on a door, it's discouragement. You knock on another door, it's discouragement. And if you're wondering, I'm doing okay. This isn't like a me, <laughs> me <laughs> spilling to you. I'm doing okay. But what about this and this message and just one verse and the packed in between all the rest of it in chapter 2 is encouraging to Paul. What's well, the evidence of the gospel still at work in the lives of the Thessalonians that encourages Paul? The context here, uh, I don't know how much of like church planting you've studied. 
but they usually give a church planter three to five years. And if you're still alive and thriving in that three to five years, they're like, hey, you made it. You're probably going to do okay in the next five to ten years. If you can't, in that little time, they just write you off. Paul spent three to six weeks with the Thessalonians. He gets run out of town by a mob and leaves the Thessalonian Christians who have just been saved three to six weeks prior back to deal with that. And he's gone, and about six months later, their uh, commentator thinks, Dr. Kara, I should name one of them, just so you know I'm actually doing that, thinks six months later he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how he's doing, and you could almost imagine it. Here comes Timothy back to Paul, going, you would not believe the gospel is still at work in these people. And Paul sends them right back with a letter to the Thessalonians. You can hear it like you're still believers. You're making it. The people want you dead. Just like you'll read next, just like the Jews want the, the Christians in Judea gone. And you're still believers. Hmm. I think we can see this evidently in our close friends and ourselves, right? You can look at this church. And I know I've, I've been here for the majority of you, almost all of you, less than you have been, right? I've been here since March. And yet, it is already encouraging to see the way Jesus works in this church and in individual lives, growing people through sanctification, just as it was for Paul. There's something about witnessing growth in people that should help us be encouraged because it helps us understand that it wasn't just something Jesus did 2,000 years ago and that you make this decision or you confess this thing and the gospel's done with you. And then God kicks back on his throne and says, good luck. No, it's not what happened here. gospel work in in our heart and others' souls and growing should be such an encouragement to us that we say yeah let the people steal the furniture it's just furniture let people let the things that we want never come let the people in our families not do what we think they ought to do because it'd be better that way why because the gospel of jesus is still pouring light into darkness the gospel of Christ, uh, Jesus is building this church here at Springbrook, across the globe, in different languages. It's this amazing truth that Jesus loves us still and never will forget about us. Never let us go. And even if all these other people just forget about us, and you leave here today and you never come back, and no one thinks about you again, and you're just on your own, Jesus still loves you. And is that work in your life? Boy, I think that's encouraging. When our, and in our last section, let's read this. We're not going to get too caught up in the weeds of this that we could. Let's read it together. Right after verse 13, Paul moves into 14. For you, brothers and ancestors, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ, Jesus that are in Judea. 
For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath, of, uh, the wrath has come upon them at last. There's a couple things I just want to make a note of. Uh, there's not always peace with the church. I know we live in a very comfortable time, in a very comfortable country. But from its inception, the church has been under attack, in the New Testament church, I should say. And the heat that the church can feel today, or Christians can feel today, is nothing new. That the gospel has been at work for 2,000 years. The evidence of that is you're sitting here today. That Christians are ripped out from that death, placed upon the walk of life. Churches are still built. And I think that with all the stuff that's mentioned there, I think it's one big exclamation point from Paul's point of verse 13. That in the midst of all of this that you're going through in the Roman culture, same thing the church in Judea is, is dealing with from the Jews, in all of that difficulty, you are still here because of Christ's work in you. So I, I just want to encourage you. I don't know if I'm being encouraging. I don't know. I want to encourage you to see those things, to be encouraged by those things, that even the worst of us or even the most difficult of us are hard to handle our precious Jesus, uh, children of Jesus, and it is our hope and goal to help them grow, and we should be encouraged by that. Those little opportunities that we get, those little things that we get to do, and if you're wrestling and struggling in your walk, that's what I hope that others growing does for you as well. It encourages you. And I was trying to figure out an example to give, and the only thing I could do was put something really discouraging in front of you, and hope logically the opposite will follow. And I, so I don't know how much of like Christian news you follow or something that's really discouraging to me and uh, always comes up in com different conversations are when uh, big famous Christians fail. Like when they sin and they fall. And it seems to happen every five to 10 years. Like one of the big guys who everybody knows their name and so they really hit the news waves. And I don't wanna name them because that's just discouraging too. So. It's like uh, whenever you fall on the ground and you get the wind knocked out of your lungs, if you've ever had that happen. Like, it's so discouraging. One, because we make an idol out of these men, which we shouldn't do. But two, because we see them as pillars of the faith and then they fall. And it's like a kick to the gut and discouragement that something like this would happen. But I don't know if we have a concept for the opposite side of that spectrum. When we see regular Christians who never hit the big news waves growing in Jesus. Are we ever encouraged when we just see someone, we only know their first name, and they stop 
whatever sin that they're doing. They, they kick it to the curb. They don't want anything to, more to do with it. And even if they fall into it again, they kick it to the curb. Are we ever encouraged by the way that the gospel is using, being used in someone's life and Jesus is growing someone? Is that ever encouraging to us? Because it's not off, often for me. Normally my cynical heart's like, well, that's what they should be doing anyways. They should just be growing. And then I'm like, well, now I've got to go back and pray about that. Like this, these things... Sh- I hope, begin, I just want to frame up loosely a category for encouragement that Jesus still works in the gospel in individual lives, and we're, we're hoping and we're praying for that, and we're encouraged by those things. That's what I think the main thrust of this whole text is. Encouragement through the active gospel in people's lives today. So whether it's uh, fantasy football or uh, things happening in your lives that are discouraging, don't forget that, that Jesus still is at work and the people that probably frustrate you and the people that are hard to deal with and the people that uh, used to be just awful people and you don't know how they could be who they are today or those who are growing spectacularly and Jesus is moving in their lives, we should celebrate that and let that encourage us. I hope that that's true. Uh, I hope that can be true in our lives moving forward as well. So if you'd uh, pray uh, with me and I'll close, I'll close this out. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for this text I was grateful this week uh, and I hope we it's good today that to read Paul's excitement that you didn't leave this little body of probably 10 to 20 people in a city full of people who hated this idea of Jesus being the only God and people were coming at them and coming after them that they were still there they're still thriving and they still followed you Christ and so help us do that today Your gospel is amazing. What you've done in our life is amazing that we're just simply not who we were a year ago or a month ago because you move in us and you work with us and help that be an encouragement to us. In all the the faces of discouragement in our lives, every door that's blocked and discouraging to us, help us with this truth that you are still at work and you love your church and you love the people. Help us today. I pray this in your name. Amen.